Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at HoosiersOutrunCancer.org. From the Melton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire from WFIU, WTIU News. Early this month, two of the largest, the two largest newspaper companies in the U.S., Gatehouse and Gannett, announced a merger agreement. As newsroom employment at newspapers continue to d- decline, the companies hope that joining forces will allow them to shed overhead costs while adapting to a digital media market. But many journalists fear this will hurt local coverage and independence. Earlier this year, you might recall that Gatehouse bought the local paper, the Herald Times of Bloomington, from longtime publisher Schur's Communications. And this week, the editors from the former Schur's group, uh, now Gatehouse, had a forum talking about the future of journalism and emphasizing the importance of regional coverage. Might uh, note at this point that we did invite um, representatives from the HT, but actually, um, Gatehouse, uh, you know, the, the Gatehouse group at a higher level, and also the Gannett group, and both uh, all actually declined our invitations. But we're joined today by three guests, two in the studio Jim Shanahan, the dean of the media school at Indiana University, and Max Jones, the editor of the Tribune Star and Terre Haute, and also joining us by phone is Rick Edmonds, the media business analyst at the Pointer Institute for Media Studies in St. Petersburg, Florida. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also send questions to the show to news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can join us on the air by calling 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show as I said, at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So thank you all for being here with us today. Max, you're a frequent guest. We like having you here. Like being here. Thanks, Bob. All right. And Jim, first-time guest. Yeah, long-time fan, long-time first-time time guest. Fan, right? and, and Rick, we're glad to have you come join us from Pointer. Pointer is, uh, in the media world, is uh, a real uh, champion of the free press. It's a place where people really look for a good, thoughtful discussion and research about what's going on. So I want to turn to Rick first and talk about, you know, this kind of a, a merger and, you know, your forecast for what this could mean for newspapers going forward. Sure, and thanks for having me. Uh, as, as I think you all know, because you've been living at uh, Gatehouse has been gathering up uh, newspapers, small chains, independently owned papers. For a long time, they have the backing of uh, a very large investment fund. Um, so this is uh, an even much bigger step for them. Uh, they they spent, I think, about a billion dollars on acquisitions, and they're now going to borrow uh, around $1.4 billion, I think it is, to uh, absorb Gannett. Uh, Gannett brings a lot to the party, and Indiana's a good example. You get the Indianapolis Star and some other uh, large papers, so you're getting a kind of uh, dominant uh, group in the state. Uh, But what I think uh, is the liveliest issue is whether the uh, so-called synergies, that is cost savings, will involve a lot more cuts to newsrooms. And I don't really know an answer to that. Uh, I think both companies run their newsrooms uh, pretty lean, to put it euphemistically. Uh, But uh, uh, there may be more in the offing, especially since... uh, uh, neither one is having an especially good year financially so far. So that always tends to lead to tightening up of newsrooms and the rest of the uh, operation. Mm-hmm. The, the size of uh, mergers like this is something that is kind of hard for us on the local level to really absorb. So, uh, <clears throat> Jim Shanahan, just some you know, overall comments to start about, about you know, this consolidation going on in the news business. 
Yeah, my take on it is one of concern, and you know, it's it 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 may be that uh, a merger like this will have some benefits in terms of papers just being able to survive, as opposed to not being able to survive. So that would be a net benefit. But as Rick said, you know, they're already very lean, and from what we see, even in our own local community, with the introduction uh, of uh, of a more corporate ownership over what had been a more regional or local one. Um, the resources did not increase. Let's put it that way, you know. And and we could we could perhaps talk about it uh, some more throughout the show. And you know, there's also the more I think sinister take on some of these companies where there's a belief that there's kind of a a methodology to suck out, if you will, the value of a company and uh, and kind of leave it as a husk of what it ha- of what had been its former self. It's a lot of it's it's an issue of concern, certainly of concern. For us in the media school, because you know we're training uh, students in journalism, and so we're looking for them to have as many venues as possible uh, to practice their craft. Uh, we talked about impact on on you know the nature of our democracy, and simply the future, the jobs future for these students as well is important to us. So, in the interest of transparency, I should say that uh, for those who who might not know, I was the editor of the Herald Times for thirty three years. I retired the day before. Gatehouse took over, um, and so you know I've I, I'm I'm an observer like everybody else is, but I also had a lot of history, and I worked many years with Max Jones from Terre Haute. Max, the first question I want to ask you because you've lived through mergers and changes. How many companies have you worked for in your time? Well, I keep turning that over in my head, uh, but but I'll go with four. Uh, one of them was a little fuzzy. It was kind of an in and out <laughs> uh, merger with uh, with a sister company, which didn't only lasted a year, and then and then we pulled back. So that, all that gets pretty confusing. And the company uh, that owns the Tribune Star is uh, called CNHI. Uh, they're a relatively new company, not not as new as Gatehouse, but uh, relatively new. It was formed in the late 90s, and they purchased uh, the Tribune Star and a number of other Indiana newspapers in 2000. So we're going on 20 years now with the same company. It's certainly the longest uh, ownership uh, that we've had. Uh, previous owners were Thompson uh, Corporation. Uh, uh, there was also uh, Ingersoll was a short-lived newspaper chain back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. Uh, so we've we've gone through all that. Uh, you know, right now we're we seem we feel somewhat stable. I mean, we've been part of I've I've been part of uh, newspaper companies like this for 30 some years now. So it's nothing new. Uh, we certainly have not seen resources increase by any stretch through the years. Some of the uh, newspapers that have been part of these companies have kind of known the whole impact of downsizing and the pressures that puts on local newsrooms for uh, for many years. But there's been a lot of companies, and, and um, uh, we've kind of felt these uh, evolutions as we as we went along. What from from a standpoint of changing from one company to another? What do you think is the biggest impact on the community, like the community of Terre Haute, when Thompson, or I guess it went from Ingersoll to Thompson to CNHI. Well, it did, and, and really early on, I would say the the change was positive. Um, as as what happened in many communities, some of the old time owners, there were some, there may have been family ownerships that had deteriorated, that weren't as strong as they used to be. The papers had really uh, gone downhill. They hadn't had a lot of investment. Uh, in our case, we had a lot of uh, labor uh, strife uh, within the organization. So uh, when Ingersoll came in, uh, they sort of calmed all of that. And for a number of years, there was uh, no issue whatsoever. And then Thompson came along, uh, very similar. We didn't see, I don't think the community felt like they saw anything that they would say was negative. Uh, and even when CNHI came along, uh, you know, Thompson had they had run out their string. They were ready to get out of the business, and uh, CNHI was young and hungry and enthusiastic. And uh, I, I, I feel like the community as a whole did not see uh, any major impact, and certainly not a negative impact. Mm-hmm. Rick, I wanted to ask you. You, you talked about how um, Gatehouse had to take out a billion dollar loan just to purchase these papers, but yet they haven't had a good year and neither has Gannett. So I'm just curious, why do they want to keep buying papers if perhaps it's not profitable? What's the attraction? Well, that's a good question. Actually, uh, both chains are 
profitable, although profitable is a little bit of an ambiguous term. They, they both have positive cash flow, which is uh, uh, in some ways more important than the bottom line, including depreciation and all that kind of thing. And, and they do think there'll be advantages uh, both in savings, but also um, in revenue possibilities. We take one example. USA Today uh, uh, operates USA Today Network, which is at, uh, not only the mother paper, but and its various websites, but all of the uh, uh, community papers. And uh, that, that's a good position from which to sell digital advertising, which you know is not yet uh, everything that people might hope, but it's uh, it is the hope for the future. So, you know, you double that network, you get uh, an awful lot more uh, exposures and just uh, that much more of a of a selling opportunity. So I, I guess I'd, I'd say, you know, you, you have both the cost side and the uh, uh, and the revenue side and the journalism side. Uh, USA Today Network has had a lot of success um, forming an investigative unit. Uh, Gatehouse is hoping to do the same. And we're talking about, you know, maybe 30 people from each uh, uh, each of the organizations. And uh, uh, that can result in some, some very strong reporting and each paper within the system will have access to that, and in some cases the stories will be localized. So, you know, that's that's a set of the uh, uh, benefits that are envisioned. If you want to join us on the program today, we're talking about uh, what's going on in the world of newspapers. Uh, you probably read about the big uh, potential merger between Gatehouse and Gannett. Uh, you can call us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So I, I guess, uh, Rick, I guess I want to go back to you uh, to talk about what happens, you know, what happens to local coverage in a case like this. You're talking about you know, an investigative team that, that uh, yeah. local newspapers can can get a benefit from. But a lot of times people want to know what's going on in the, in the city council, in the town, or yeah. at the school yeah. board. So, Well, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a great question. And I, I would say I see at, at both of these chains and some other chains uh, a kind of erosion of just how local local news is. And uh, just glancing at, at the site, you know, I see quite a lot of, uh, national news, and uh, in some cases we'll see uh, regional stories or stories from, in your case, another city in Indiana. And, okay, that's a little bit maybe a good story, but it's a, a better story uh, where it occurs. So there has been whittling away. I, I would say most uh, papers, even as they get smaller, um, don't eliminate uh, covering the city city hall. A lot of other things do get uh, do get uh, trimmed, or you know, you may have a reporter assigned to both uh, K-12 schools and universities or something like that. So, uh, yes, uh, there, there has been a very significant erosion of local news. And in extreme cases, you're not the extreme case. You have uh, papers that either have gone out of business, uh, particularly weeklies, or ones that we're coming to call ghost newspapers, where they uh, you know, have staff of one or two people and otherwise fill it with, with uh, wires and, and contributions by freelancers. Mm-hmm. We've got our first phone call today, so we're going to go to, to uh, the phone. Owen Johnson, former faculty member in the media school, is calling. So, Owen, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, I have a question um, for all three panelists, uh, and that is, where do they think newspapers will be 10 years from now, both print digitally? And for Jim Shanahan, if he could also talk about the future of the Indiana Daily Student. All right, Jim. All right. Well, I'll take the two questions there first. The first is I see a number of different models that could play out. I'm not, I don't have enough of a crystal ball to say which one will be the successful one. There's a lot of discussion about philanthropy, for instance, replacing journalistic functions. That is happening more and more. It's happening even in our own school to a certain extent. It's hard to see how that would replace the uh, dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of local newsrooms that go away in the same way that even 30 investigative reporters at, you know, Gatehouse or Gannett times two can't replace all that. It's just a numerical fact. But the philanthropy piece will be important. Um, I think kind of the model we're seeing is sort of a consolidating model with hopeful replacement by digital functions, but that's got a lot of uncertainty to it. 
Um, it's possible that a, a more regulatory environment could change the way things are done with respect to the huge digital behemoths that suck up advertising. We know who they are. Um, and another another possibility, and we've seen this in other sectors of our life, is that we readjust our values and and return to a period of uh, valuing local news for what it is, and that would have people coming back to their local papers in a way that would make them sustainable. But all of those have significant uncertainties associated with them, obviously. So um, it's it's hard to predict which one of those would be the successful one in the end. Uh, Owen's question about the Indiana Daily Student is they, like any paper, um, which they are an independent uh, auxiliary organization under the media school, their financial model is as stressed as anyone's. Um, And they have some luxuries, though, in that they have the media school to fall back on to a certain extent. Um, and so, you know, this is a nonprofit organization that can, in some cases, uh, prop up their journalism. Um, but they, uh, we will this year really actually be looking at a reorganization for all of our student media to try and put them on um, a firm financial footing for the future that would uh, preserve their editorial independence the good, the really good and award-winning journalism that they do and have continued uh, to do uh, will not go away, and the IDS will always be there. A year or so ago, they uh, went from publishing five print editions to two per week. Uh, that that will continue for the foreseeable future as well, um, even though there's plenty of questions out there in the zeitgeist, if you will, about. Uh, the future of print. I happen to like print myself, and so I think there's some advantages to it. So that's where they're headed. Mm-hmm. Overall, they'll they'll continue to be here, and we have to work hard, like like Max does, you know, to to figure out ways to keep them going for all the great things they do. Let's go to Max next. You know, uh, we've seems like we've been answering that ten years in the future question for a long time, and and when I think about when I got that asked that question 10 years ago, I I wish now I had written it down so I knew what my answer would have been. I don't think I I would have anticipated the decline in paid uh, circulation to the extent that that we have. Uh, That is the one thing that I think um, blindly I missed. I I didn't see it going down at the rate that, that has gone away. On the other hand, I still feel a great deal of enthusiasm in our communities for a printed edition and certainly for the newspaper in general. Uh, and that gives me the feeling that uh, there is still stability to be had, that there is still a great need and a want uh, for a newspaper in uh, in communities all across the country, certainly in Indiana, I, I feel that. If I were to look ahead, uh, I think based on now what what I felt during this instability of the last 10, 15 years, uh, I would concur with uh, Dean Shanahan that the, the print uh, model will continue to exist. It'll still be profitable, but I think there will be some hard decisions that will have to be made, and that would include – uh, in some cases, the the dropping of a day of the week or two days of the week, even for papers uh, the size of Terre Haute or Bloomington, were were similar in size. Bloomington a little bit a little bit larger. Uh, so that is something that I don't think would surprise me. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd predict it for us, but I, it would not surprise me to see that happen, and, and that it still allows people to keep their hands on their their daily paper printed edition. At the same time, allows companies to. Uh, to, to to continue to contract their resources so they can focus it in, in where it has its best effect. Rick, 10 years? 10 years. Uh, 10 years is a long time. Uh, I try not to look out quite that far, and this has been alluded to before. We turn the clock back 10 years. We're coming out of a terrible recession that was very damaging to newspapers. Uh, we could have a recession again, which would uh, uh, tighten the screws on, on finances. But also, 10 years ago, Facebook was uh, existed, but it wasn't a big uh, force in local advertising. So there, there's a lot that can uh, change that we may not anticipate. Uh, to answer your question, though, I think within three to five years, we are going to see uh, organizations, especially these chains, uh, pivoting to much more uh, digital operations at their newspapers and trying to develop other uh, digital sources of revenue. And uh, 
I don't think print is vanishing, but print already has been priced up uh, quite a lot, so it's uh, something of a luxury item in, in many markets for uh, that group of readers, older or uh, otherwise, who really, really want it. And I think the economics will, uh, as uh, was already suggested, uh, sort of push towards uh, getting rid of some days of the week that are profitable. And I certainly think before newspapers go out of the print business, we'll see a period where they have a uh, Sunday print paper. That's still uh, definitely very profitable and um, kind of uh, uh, nudge their readers to get their news digitally the rest of the week. And just add to that, that that I've been very fixed in assessing the finances on revenue and continuing declines in revenue, and that certainly sours the stock market. You know, on the other hand, um, there are tremendous economies uh, in distributing the newspaper digitally as opposed to in print. So, um, you know, one way of looking at it is that there'll be smaller businesses as revenue, but at least potentially a little bit more stable than right now. So, the, Dean, you alluded to this, I think, a little bit in just talking about philanthropy, but, you know, the way that public radio has worked for a long time mm-hmm. is that you become members right. of the station and right. get away from some of this subscription base. How are local papers adopting that model, and do you see that as something that is in the future? I don't see a ton of that yet, and it could be in the future. I think one of the things I think that we're lucky in a community like this one is that we do have options to the local paper, including fine public media, good student journalism, and that type of thing. What I've seen more of in the philanthropy sector and people who contact me who want to invest in journalism, and there are such people out there, um, usually are more targeted to a specific type of reporting or that type of thing. So we have an investigative center that's actually opening in the school next month with significant support from a donor. Um, but that doesn't necessarily – it's not the same as, you know, just getting a bunch of people to be members of WFIU. And um, so, you know, I um, maybe maybe the other folks on this panel have seen a little bit more of that than I have. But when I speak to people about philanthropic interest in journalism, there's usually something they're concerned about, a single-issue kind of thing or a specific type of thing. And those are all great, and um, I think we will have more of those kinds of things going on. Um, and I'll support them. Um, the worry still is what will replace the day-to-day reporting? Um, and it might sound, you know, uh, mundane to think that, you know, we're covering the school board or, or city council or what have you. But communities that don't have that coverage going into the future eventually will pay an invisible tax that results when officials realize either consciously or subconsciously the same level of scrutiny is not there on their activities. And so communities that are unlike Bloomington without these other things to keep people honest, you know, that's a that's a somewhat less rosy future mm-hmm. for them, I think. I want to add a point or two before we uh, go to our first break. One is I know, you know, in my former life as a newspaper editor that we did look at membership models. And I don't know that it was ever really figured out, but there was a lot of conversation about we shouldn't call it these subscriptions anymore. We should call these members and we should have member benefits like, you know, special deals to advertisers and things like that. I don't think it ever succeeded wildly, but that was always. Did you do tote bags? (laughs) Probably did have a tote bag or two. Coffee cups. Rick, do you have have data on this in terms of how successful it is? Well, I I don't know data so much. I I think what uh, was just said is accurate, that there have been experiments with it. It's been hard to define just what uh, extra benefit of uh, membership you get as opposed to being a subscriber. And, you know, I doubt that uh, public media has had uh, 30, 40 years to uh, polish uh, their model and, and get very sophisticated about uh, soliciting and satisfying members. Um, I do think the the uh, growth of sort of other philanthropically or member-supported uh, organizations is part of the answer to what uh, what to do as, uh, as some of the uh, newspaper coverage disappears. And sort of gratuitously will add that, that I'm working on a story right now kind of posing the question of uh, um, is public media, public radio specifically, a, a bit of a sleeping giant here? Is there a way that uh, uh, their news operations can be geared up? Of course, that's going to require money. So 
it's not a it's not a panacea. We're talking about local local news and uh, newspapers, and we're branching out into other kinds of media here today on Noon Edition. If you want to join us on the program after our break, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, along with Sarah Whitmeyer, and today we're talking about Local news uh, in the wake of the, 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 the potential merger between Gannett and Gatehouse, which is a total of about 270 newspapers, I think daily newspapers, which would be under one owner. We're talking about that. And, of course, the HT has gone under uh, – or HT and other local papers have gone under or, or undergone a lot of changes recently. So we have three guests who are in the studio, Jim Shanahan, the dean of the media school at Indiana University, and Max Jones, the editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. And we're also joined today by phone from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, Rick Edmonds, a media business analyst at the Pointer Institute for Media Studies. If you want to join us on the show, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. At, in, at Noon Edition is our Twitter handle, and you can also send us questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. I wanted to expand this at least for one question and, and just note that um, newspapers are not alone in this huge transformation. I, I can tell you, again, from firsthand, I worked for a media company, Shures Communications, that um, in 2015, which is just four years ago, looked totally different than it does today. That media organization had uh, commercial television, commercial radio, and then it sold it, all the commercial TV and commercial radio. And then earlier in, well, late in 2018, it sold, or early in 2019, it sold all of its newspapers, and now it's into other kinds of media. Jim Shanahan, you're, you're running a media school that's trying <laughs> to figure out where the jobs are going to be in the future and how, how to train your students. I mean, what are you seeing on the bigger landscape? Bigger picture is, yeah, if you look at radio, for instance, I mean, you know, the idea of now a local radio station that's basically an automated stream, you know, um, and you wonder how many people are actually there behind the board, very little local localism to it, I guess you would say, would be sort of a depressing model for what local newspapers could look like in the future. So they're just as stressed, if not more stressed, than we're talking mainly about local newspapers right now. Same is true of television. And, of course, the whole media sphere has been disrupted in many ways. It was a reason for the creation of the media school to try to transition from focusing on the old legacy silos that we're still talking about in some ways to give students a broader picture and a broader set of experiences so that when they go out there, you know, they're often going into job titles that didn't exist before. They also have to be more self-reliant in terms of just creating their own avenues through this thicket of, of what the new media looks like. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as simple as what it used to be. And so um, that's probably true for any of the uh, formerly mass media that we teach. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to pick one that hasn't been stressed in some way by that digital uh, disruption. And even the digital sphere itself is self-disruptive in a way, you know. So it's turmoil. Um, you know, now a lot of that can be good, too, in terms of cranking out new kinds of things, new kinds of experiences. There's definitely hope that as students, um, you know, who are digital natives, if you will, go out into that marketplace, they'll be the ones who come up with these new models that we're struggling to figure out here as, you know, some of the oldsters in the room. Mm -hmm. 
Rick, do you want to respond to that? Well, I, I think that uh, all rings true, and and I'd be interested to uh, comment, but then a question for Jim too. Um, I, I think these actually are exciting times for younger people to be entering journalism, as long as you, you know, are not uh, uh, overly concerned about job security and staying to get your gold watch. Um, <laughs> but uh, because they're they're uh, exciting problems to be to be solved, and and uh, <laughs> they are solved. It's it's going to be the the students and the younger people who have an awful lot to do with it. I would ask Jim, do you find some uh, pivoting of interest from what we might call traditional media uh, journalism jobs to uh, advertising, public relations, um, uh, advocacy for, for groups? Uh, because I do think that sector is uh, to some extent expanding as uh, newspapers, magazines, and uh, some other things shrink. It sounds like you're looking at my enrollment uh, database. Um, <laughs> no, that, was a, that was a question. And, uh, but, I mean, yeah, we, our biggest growth area is advertising. Um, we still have a, a, a sizable group that's interested in the traditional reporting, editing, and that type of thing. But the growth is in advertising. And, um, you know, the other thing that we're seeing is, and something we're trying to encourage, is for students to have a mix of interests across different things. Because, you know, there's plenty of students who will uh, have gone through the media school with uh, traditional training in news reporting, uh, maybe in a print world, and ended up working in public relations, advertising, other communication sectors. It's still a very vital industry. Our schools enrollments overall are fine, you know, so that's that's the rosy part for us. But there is always some rearranging and shifting of the interest that students have, many of whom, if you ask them about a local paper, look at you like you're, you know, um, you know what, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I want to ask, ask, ask uh, Max, who's, you know, working every day hard trying to put out the Terre Haute Tribune Star about – you know, about the importance of a local newspaper and local news to a community. Well, we still feel it every day. And even though uh, we've felt these tensions, these rising tensions over the years, uh, and there's a lot of fretting and, 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 and wrangling about uh, where are we going to be and how are we going to exist, I don't – I've never felt like the communities that we serve have abandoned us at all. They – seem as worried as we are, if not more so, when they ask us, how are things going? Are, are you going to be here? Or how, long, how much longer before you're, you have to close shop? And it, it's a lot of panic sometimes in these voices. And uh, I don't sense any glee anyone's feeling about that, uh, even among our competitors, uh, that they don't, they don't see it, any benefit in, their, in the market of, of uh, seeing a devalued news operation uh, with tradition and the past and the history as an institution in a community like a newspaper is. So that's what gives me uh, renewed hope and the enthusiasm. I've always felt like there's going to be a renaissance at some point uh, f- for uh, for our business, um, and that's where that comes from. It's not from any bottom lines or uh, subscription lists uh, or anything like that. It's it's because the community still embraces us and finds value in what we do. I think one, if I could just jump in, one thing people will or, or are starting to come realize, come to realize is like the old Joni Mitchell song, "You don't know what you got till it's gone." And so, in communities that may be maybe not, you know, Terre Haute is not an example yet, but in communities that are starting to reach the point where they may lose their local newspaper, I think we'll get to the point where, where the town fathers and mothers, you know, get together and start to confront that issue. And it won't just be a question for uh, how are we going to get more advertising, but is that the kind of institution that you want to have in your community just in the same way you'd be concerned if your local hospital uh, were going to close down or that type of thing in terms of the public service that it provides and a center to a political debate that otherwise can be very polarized uh, if you don't have that center. Yeah. Max, how has your newsroom changed over the last few years? Um, you know, Dean was talking about having people learn all these skills across platforms, but yeah, if you could just talk about that. Well, certainly it's gotten smaller. Uh, that That is the, the most dramatic change, and that makes, that makes the challenge of uh, doing our traditional jobs much harder. 
Uh, there's some things we've had to give up doing, but it's not been the things that we seem to be most find as most important. So while we still adhere to our basic principles of uh, covering local news and what's relevant to people uh, and, and helping them be better citizens uh, through being better informed, we have also tried to teach uh, and expand our knowledge base of uh, use, use of technology. We've, we've tried a lot of different things. We tr- we've tried podcasts. We've certainly put uh, digital equipment into the hands of all of our reporters and editors and encouraged them and taught them how to uh, shoot video and engage in social media and, and, and do some of the basics that, that have to be done. Now, we haven't done revolutionary work, but we have uh, at least pushed ahead and tried to equip our people with as uh, many of these tools uh, as we can to help us branch out. All right. We're going to go to the phones. So we're going to start with Emily Jackson. Emily? Hello. Hi, Emily. Go ahead. I have a comment and then something of a question. My comment is just to give a shout out to all of the local news programming that is done both on WFIU and WFHB Community Radio, both local news and public affairs programming. And people want strong local information through the newspaper, through our airwaves. And additional shout-out to the Writer Magazine and Bloom Magazine that support our community's uh, culture. Now, my concern is that as newspapers are bought up, such and I know like the Sinclair Corporation bought up a lot of local television programs, stations and affected negatively, you know, what uh, was going out on the air and having some control. How does a local newspaper, once owned by a larger corporation, maintain some of that localism and strive to keep that their voice that voice clear? Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. So um, I'm going to ask Rick to answer that yeah. first. So. Well, that, that's an excellent question, and uh, a little bit refer you back to, to the notion of the uh, economic pressures on, uh, on, on uh, making the lo- quote, local news more regional and in some cases filling the columns with national. Uh, I would say both these companies, uh, Gannett has a very long tradition of this, do not uh, try to dictate a sort of party line from above. They're, they're actually very centrally controlled in other ways, but um, they do let local editors uh, judge what's best for the community in terms of coverage. Um, they often, uh, to the extent that the editorial positions are are uh, important, they'll let uh, let them decide. And, you know, I, th- I think that's actually smart smart business. So they don't quite get into the practice uh, of Sinclair, which is widely criticized, I think, justly so, of uh, dictating a, a quote editorial uh, sort of self-serving. Often that uh, each station is uh, is asked to read. Max, you know, you've been you've worked for various companies. I mean, is there some some man behind the curtain there that's telling you what to do? You know, I'll go back a, a little bit to a statement I made earlier in, in that many of these national media companies have actually brought more independence to community newspapers than less. Um, and um, there's that means it's uh, there's broad improvement. There's great value in it. I have never been in a situation where I felt. Uh, like I was being overwhelmed by some company line, uh, the pressure I feel is to be involved, be engaged, to take positions, to uh, try to to spark uh, discussion, uh, to keep people informed, and 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 be independent in the way we we do that, independent and balanced, and and treat everyone fairly uh, and aggressively. So I have never seen, I have never encountered. Uh, the sort of uh, certainly the, the fears that those who have been involved with Sinclair certainly uh, would have felt uh, over time. Mm-hmm. This might be a question, honestly, Bob, you can answer. But well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious when you when you look at the HT or you look at the paper in the, Mar- the Martinsville paper, there is so much overlap. So is that well, an I, individual paper decision? No, I think I think there I think there is a movement um, within the the group of papers to try to become more regional, and they said that in their forum the other day. So that there, if a, there's a reporter that's writing a story about Martinsville or Mooresville, that that story could appear in Bloomington, it could appear in Bedford. Same thing if a Bedford story is is a good story about something there, and then all the Bloomington stories could appear in those other. 
those other papers, I think that's done by design. I think that's a strategy. Um, so uh, I think one thing also I would say with the Gannett purchase or the Gannett merger is that that uh, the HT will be in a position to have much better statehouse coverage because they'll have the coverage from the Indianapolis Star. Uh, there could be synergies between Lafayette and Bloomington in terms of covering the Big Ten. And, you know, if they're on South Bend, you got the Big Ten and Notre Dame. So, you know, there are some potential advantages from a, that are outside of the local realm, but in the state, more state and regional realm. Well, who, I wonder who are the losers in this. So, you know, in some ways we are an advantaged community. And if we look at all the smaller cities and towns around southern Indiana, you know, to the west of here, to the south of here, there's you know, at least a dozen that I could rattle off the names of. Where will they shake out? in this new ecosystem. Yeah, I, I hope you're not hoping I'm going to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very problematic, as we, uh, as we have to say. And, and uh, uh, University of North Carolina has done, uh, done a good deal of work on this. Uh, they're the source of the uh, statistic that 1,200 papers, almost all of them weeklies, uh, have, have closed in recent years. So, yeah, it's just... Um, uh, it's at least going to be a gap in the market, I think, for uh, for a while, and I don't readily know uh, what will replace them. There, there's an interesting outfit called Patch, which tried to do so-called hyperlocal news. It had I think 1,200 communities at one point. They pulled way back, but you know there there may be um, a way to at least uh, to an extent serve those markets with with uh, small and and they are kind of like cookie cutter sites, but they have a local uh, a local editor. So. Uh, that's not a very uh, uh, encouraging answer, but it may be something like that for a while. All right. We're going to give our phone numbers one more time and go to another phone call. But uh, the numbers are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington and 1-877-285-9348. At Noon Edition is how to find us on Twitter and news at indianapublicmedia.org if you have a question you want to send to us. So we have Tommy Allison on the phone. Tommy, go ahead. Yes, uh, I think we all agree that an informed citizenry is necessary for the proper functioning of a democracy, and, and many of the people have uh, spoken to that. The question is now, how do we pay for this investigative reporting? How do we pay for this actual coverage of local government? And I would say coverage of our state legislature. Uh, and what we've been looking at always is just to say, well, it has to be profitable to these uh, private businesses, which uh, 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 in effect have been bought up by hedge uh, funds, uh, which are demanding more return on, on, on investment. Uh, and uh, yet we can look at some European countries that have actually put in uh, – government monies uh, that were not controlled by the uh, elected officials, but, uh, you know, like the BBC that is uh, helped in funding uh, by the sale of uh, TV shows, or, uh, I mean, TV... Uh, uh, Licenses. TV, Licenses. And other, other ways of, of financing. What I'm trying to come to is uh, we are in a, a situation where we are absolutely desperately in need of actual facts, uh, not manipulated uh, fake news, uh, uh, to actually function as a democracy. So how do we get this with some combination of private business and uh, maybe public resources uh, or new ways of uh, uh, getting the the information. Uh, it, we desperately need this, uh, and uh, I'm just wondering if people have thought about looking at other countries and how they do it. Thank you. I do want to uh, take the opportunity to say Tommy Allison's former mayor of Bloomington. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Well, Jim. that was the, you know, the BBC model, the kind of paternalistic model. And, you know, it has worked well in some ways for that. Um, I'm not sure that's ever really going to fly here, given our political climate and so forth. And I think we're really in a period where we're going to have to throw a lot of different things at the wall and see which are the ones that stick. 
you know, in, in terms of being successful. I don't think, by the way, that there was ever really a golden age that we're somehow missing now. In other words, these questions were always on our mind. We mentioned 10 years ago we were trying to figure out. And in my career in teaching media, we've always been talking about, quote, unquote, the new media and the threat of that. So a state of turmoil and a state of uncertainty is in some ways, a normal state for media. But all the questions uh, from the caller are very valid. And obviously, some European countries have done that with their uh, broadcasting systems. They've also, in some cases, had newspapers that were much more ideologically based and uh, represented one party or another. So there can be a lot of differences in culture and politics and so forth that can make um, ideas like that workable or not. It would be interesting to propose that here, uh, a BBC for newspapers, and see how far that got. It would be another another one to throw into the mix, I guess. Rick? Yeah, can, can I jump in? I wanted to say, uh, Tommy, I think that's a terrific question, and uh, uh, I've periodically looked at it. Uh, there are actually a number of European countries, uh, France, Scandinavian countries, that have uh, off and on subsidized circulation. I mean, they will... Uh, give people uh, half the, the subscription price. Um, that idea hasn't ever really caught on here, and you know their First Amendment issues. I think we're at a point where that that may be considered. And uh, some Len Downey, the former uh, editor of the Washington Post, suggested that you might use like the model of the National Science Foundation, where we don't have enough scientific research, so we provide public funds, but we also provide an organization that's not directly tied to government. Uh, that provides it. One other thing I'll mention is that uh, the platform companies, Facebook particularly, uh, Google and uh, others, are under the gun now, and I think they are being identified as uh, big contributors to the difficulties of journalism, and uh, they may be subject to more regulation, uh, and I would say, we have to disclose we benefit some from that at Pointer, that, that uh, each of them is uh, stepping up their, their activities in support of journalism. So, you know, there may be some uh, fluidity in that. I, I kind of hope so, because journalism needs that help. Is there is there a role for private uh, companies? Like, I only know a little bit about uh, the uh, example in Seattle, where Boeing went in and was funding journalism. Uh, Rick, are you familiar with that? Yeah, Seattle, yeah. Seattle has uh, has had a good deal of success in finding sponsors, uh, in some cases local companies. Of course, Seattle's a hugely expanding uh, and prosperous uh, uh, metro market now. Uh, so they, they probably are the leader in that. It, it's possible. And I, I, do, I do think, uh, I'm forgetting uh, which of you said before, that uh, you'll find uh, this doesn't come without some risk, but you'll find... Uh, foundation or an individual who has a particular cause, like uh, reforming criminal justice, who will uh, put money to hiring a reporter or a reporting unit on that. And uh, I do think that's going to be part of the mix uh, going forward. Max, what are the dangers in that? Well, I think uh, the fact that we're aware of the dangers will help us to start with. Um, I mean, we have to we have to be good soldiers here and 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 guard the gates and uh, I think our tradition uh, our first amendment tradition here will uh, will help us along the way uh, as long as we are always skeptical of of that sort of uh, uh, input and that sort of influence on on the work of the of a free press then 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 at least we've got that going for us and the public can also be skeptical as well as and and how they want to uh, to judge that material i think it uh, takes a special kind of person actually to be the one who says <clears throat> pardon me i want to be the publisher of a newspaper or i want to be the donor to this reporting project and i don't want to have anything to say about it <laughs> you know and so take my money please now do your best with that job and those people don't necessarily grow on trees you know uh, and that's true of you know commercial publishers as well as these if you have a single source donor for an issue that's the risk you know that's a risk is this idea of an ind independently run paper a thing of the past uh rick maybe max Oh, well, I, uh, I have to say no, because uh, Pointer owns the Tampa Bay Times, which is one of the leading uh, independently owned papers, and that's a, a very uh, strong uh, tradition at our place that we'll keep going. And, and you know, we, we haven't really talked about papers that are owned by uh, the so-called benevolent billionaires like uh, uh, 
Jeff Bezos uh, with the Washington Post, John Henry with the Boston Globe. Uh, Leffen family does own the uh, Seattle paper. Uh, Star Tribune, one of the best, is owned by uh, a wealthy man there. So, you know, there there are some avenues to, uh, to independence, and there there's some families that are uh, uh, hanging in there despite uh, despite all the difficulties. So, uh, fewer and fewer. You know, I suppose endangered species wouldn't wouldn't be a bad description. But uh, but yes, there still are some. So we, we've only got about a minute to go, but I just want to get – if anybody's got any last thoughts. Max had brought up the, the idea that you know we, we need people to, to trust us. He said the, the people of Terre Haute still, he believes, trust and, and want to support and, and understand what they would lose if the Tribune Star were to go away. Uh, are there enough people out there that really understand the importance of, of local news? Well, I have to feel like there are. Uh, they need to hold us accountable, uh, and we need to do our jobs as aggressively and – uh, smartly as we can, and 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 have faith that the, that that's what it's going to take, and that we're going to be able to survive this in some productive way. Mm-hmm. Rick, well, I, there were, I was going to mention an interesting study. I think it was by Pew, but there's so many people doing studies that asked uh, subscribers to local newspapers uh, why they subscribe. Of course, the majority said it was because they wanted to get the news, but there was a pretty significant minority who said, uh, you know, we want to support it because it's a good thing. So. You know, I think I think having that uh, spirit out there is uh, is a plus. Fifteen seconds, Jim. Well, I guess final thought would be that for me, you know, we've talked a lot about different alternatives and, you know, we'll see which one of these works in the future. For me, the big issue to stress and come back to is for those smaller, smaller towns where, you know, none of these um, options that we've thrown out there um, might appear to be successful. And we really need to focus on that because, you know, there's a lot of important issues out there that are going uncovered. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank our three guests today, Jim Shanahan, Rick Edmonds, and Max Jones. For co-host Sarah Whitmire, producer Kathy Knapp and Benta Boutier, and engineer Mike, Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at hoosiersoutruncancer.org.